Welcome to the Mayo Clinic Ophthalmology Podcast on all things ophthalmology brought to you by Mayo Clinic. I'm your host, Dr. Andrea Tooley. And I'm Dr. Eric Bothan. We're here to bring you the latest and greatest in ophthalmology, medicine, and more. In today's episode, we have the opportunity of visiting with Dr. John Chen, an ophthalmologist and neurologist at the Mayo Clinic. We're going to visit about optic neuritis, the history, updates that have brought us to current levels of care, and the future. Dr. John Chen is an MD-PhD and professor of ophthalmology and neurology here at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. He currently serves as the president of the Minnesota Academy of Ophthalmology, chairman of the Upper Midwest Neuro-Ophthalmology Group, and is on the editorial board member for Neuro-Ophthalmology Journal. We frequently see his editorials in AAO and topics on neuro-ophthalmology. Additionally, Dr. Chen was just awarded an R01 to investigate structural changes in eyes with papilledema. Welcome, Dr. Chen. We are excited to visit a little bit today about optic neuritis. And I'd like to, to start by asking you, how has our understanding of optic neuritis changed since the optic neuritis treatment trial? That's a great question. I'm excited to be here. The optic neuritis treatment trial really was a landmark study. It was published in New England Journal of Medicine in 1991. And so a lot of things have changed since then. With the optic neuritis treatment trial, it pretty much told us that if you have a bout of optic neuritis, you can treat with IV corticosteroids, and it quickens recovery, but doesn't actually change the ultimate outcome. And also provided us the best knowledge that we know about the risk of multiple sclerosis. Essentially, 15 years after optic neuritis, you've got a 50% chance of developing MS, and that risk is stratified depending on the presence or absence of white matter lesions. But what we didn't know that much about at the time of the optic neuritis treatment trial were these causes of atypical optic neuritis, like neuromyelitis optica, and now this new entity called MOG antibody-associated disease, or MOGAD. And we actually went back and looked at over 170 samples from the original optic neuritis treatment trial and checked the serum to see, were these patients in that study? And we actually had zero patients with aquaporin-4 antibodies for NMO, and we only had three patients that had antibody against MOG for MOGAD. So unfortunately, the optic neuritis treatment trial really does not provide good guidance for these atypical causes of optic neuritis like NMO and MOGAD. And so really, that study is still a landmark study. But our approach to these atypical causes of optic neuritis like NMO and MOGAD is still evolving, and we do approach these differently. And so I think that would be the main difference since the original ONTT. So you mentioned that in the original optic nerve treatment trial, when you went back and looked at some of those patients, you only found three MOG patients and no aquaporin-4. That surprises me. Why do you think those numbers were so small? Were they left out of the original trial, or what are we seeing there? No, that's a great question. I, I think part of it was probably in the inclusion-exclusion criteria. To be in the optic nerve treatment trial, it had to be your first bout of optic neuritis, and a lot of these patients with the MOG and NMO have recurrent bouts of optic neuritis. It had to be unilateral, and both NMO and MOG have a tendency to have bilateral optic neuritis at times. So all those patients would have been excluded. And then also the demographic smog tends to affect a lot of children as well, and children weren't part of the optic neuritis treatment trial. So I think all those reasons led to there being a lower number of patients with NMO and MOG in the clinical trial. We actually looked at the population-based rates of optic neuritis using the Rochester Epidemiology Project. 
And what's nice is you can actually see what's kind of in your backyard. If you just look at my Mayo Clinic Neuroophthalmology Clinic, you'd think everyone has MOG, everyone has NMO. But in reality, obviously, these diseases are less frequent. But using the Rochester Epidemiology Project, we can actually determine how frequent they are in a general population. And essentially what we found is that, is that about 50% are MS, just like we've, we've known all along. About 3% are NMO, and about 5 to 6% are MOG. So about 8 to 9% of optic neuritis in the community practice is going to be one of these atypical causes of optic neuritis. So it's obviously more rare than MS, but certainly has to be on your radar because mm-hmm. 8 to 9% is mm-hmm. not an insignificant proportion. And over the 30 years since ONTT, what has Mayo's role been in kind of the discovery of some of these new atypical optic neuritis entities? Yeah, it's, it's been pretty exciting. A lot of the work was done here at the Mayo Clinic. At the time of the ONTT, we did know about NMO as a clinical entity. It was called Devic syndrome because Devic and Galt initially described this entity of severe optic neuritis and transverse myelitis over a century ago. So we knew it was an entity, but we didn't know if it was a subtype of MS. We didn't know if it was a distinct entity. And ultimately, the answer actually came from the laboratory. Dr. Lennon and colleagues at the Mayo Clinic found that there is an antibody against Acaporin-4 that was found to be both a biomarker of disease and a pathogenic cause of NMO. And that fully cemented NMO as a distinct entity from MS. So that was here at the Mayo Clinic using these assays called a cell-based assay. And then after that, about six years ago, there were groups starting to find that antibodies against MOG may be a biomarker for this different entity called MOG antibody-associated disease. And there was some great work out of the UK and, and other countries. And the Mayo Clinic has a lot of collaborations with these groups. Ultimately, we started investigating this as well, using essentially the same technology, the cell-based assay that found the Acapone 4 antibody. We, we were able to detect MOG antibodies reliably. Again, it was initially done by some other groups, but in, in the US, the Mayo Clinic was the first to kind of make that antibody a success. And it's only been commercially available since October of 2017. So only four years have we had this MOG antibody available in the US. So the understanding of this disease is still growing. So why is it? Help me understand from your expertise, when you see patients or just in our field, why is it important to separate the classic optic neuritis from either MOG or NMO? It's really because the prognosis is very different. And probably more importantly, the treatment is different. So the optic neuritis treatment trial told us that with multiple sclerosis optic neuritis, typical optic neuritis, we can treat with IV corticosteroids. It quickens recovery, but doesn't change the ultimate outcome. Certainly with NMO, the outcomes are very poor. Up to 50% of patients can end up with a vision of 2200 or worse, which is legally blind. And so when you have a bottom optic neuritis, we have to treat them very, very aggressively. It really isn't an option of IV steroids or not to quicken recovery. It's really IV steroids to try and preserve any kind of vision we can get. And these patients are getting IV corticosteroids. We usually add on plasma exchange as well, just to try and get as much recovery as possible. And then with MOG, they tend to be very steroid responsive, and, and the attack tends to melt away with the steroids. And, and, but sometimes they're steroid dependent, so we often do a longer prednisone taper. So that's why it's important in the acute setting. In the chronic setting, it's even more important. With MS, you obviously are going to treat them with the MS disease-modifying agent. For NMO, you're going to treat them with rituximab or some kind of other chronic immunotherapy. 
But what's scary is if you have a patient with optic neuritis and they actually they have NMO, but you misdiagnose them with MS and put them on a traditional MS disease-modifying agent like Avanox or Rebif, you could actually worsen the disease. And so identifying a patient with these diseases is incredibly important for the acute treatment and also the chronic immunotherapy as well. Wow. And clinically, are there ways to differentiate the different types of neuritis, or is it all just based on the biomarkers? The biomarkers are really important, but clinically, it, it's going to help guide you too. With NMO, the attacks are typically very severe, and on MRI, you often get pretty long enhancement of the optic nerve. The recovery, unfortunately, is poor. With MOG, oftentimes, the vision loss is pretty severe at onset as well, but the recovery is better. They're much more steroid responsive. And on MRI, sometimes you'll see this long segment of enhancement, and the enhancement's so profound, it involves the optic nerve sheath and the perivorbital fat, which you've called perineural enhancement. So an MRI can help tip you off. Also with MOG optic neuritis, there tends to be more optic nerve disc edema. So, you know, the classic tradition is, teaching of optic neuritis is when you look at the optic nerve, it's typically normal. Third of time, there's some disc edema, but it's usually mild. With MOG, 80% of optic neuritis attacks have some swelling of the optic nerve that you can visibly see. And sometimes it can be pretty severe. And so that could be a tip-off for MOG. Do you have a different algorithm in clinic for these patients, or do you kind of do the same thing for any optic neuritis? Initially, same thing. It's going to be checking visual acuity, visual fields. The clinical history is going to guide you. We get an MRI of the brain in the orbits to confirm the optic nerve, MRI brain to look for lesions that might make you think MS, NMO, or MOG. And then if it's a severe attack right now, you know, we're treating with IV corticosteroids pretty early on. It's a privilege to work at a place with experts like you and, and here at the Mayo Clinic team approach to so many of these conditions. Part of those teams are oftentimes their comprehensive ophthalmologists back home. Just share advice over individuals that maybe don't live close to the Mayo Clinic or a referral center in terms of what they can do, at least initial evaluation and or in chronic disease, and when should they be referring to gain expertise like yours? Again, at the time of the optic neuritis treatment trial, if you had optic neuritis, you could either treat with IV steroids to quicken recovery or observe. It really didn't change ultimate outcome. The drawback now is if you've got a severe optic neuritis attack, you don't know if it's going to be one of these other conditions like NMORMOG. So any severe optic neuritis, we are recommending just early treatment with IV corticosteroids. We think, based on retrospective studies, that early treatment may lead to better outcomes. And so if you kind of wait on it too long, wait for a fraud in ophthalmology, which could take you know two months at a time, you might miss that window. So right now, with any severe optic neuritis, I probably would recommend IV corticosteroids. Don't really give them that option to observe because some of these could be NMO, they could be MOG that may need the steroids. I would recommend actually checking for MOG and acupoint for antibodies pretty much for any optic neuritis, unless it's classic multiple sclerosis. If you've got a patient with periventricular white matter lesions on the MRI, oligoclonal bands in the CSF, that's going to be multiple sclerosis. But any other case of optic neuritis, I think it is helpful because it not only changes prognosis, it changes management. So those antibodies will be pretty helpful to obtain. And then, obviously, if you have one of these atypical causes of optic neuritis, I think it's worth having at least a neurologist on board or a neuro-ophthalmologist on board to kind of help guide management. 
This has been such a paradigm shift for how we treat optic neuritis and how we diagnose it. And as we've seen this change, both for patient outcomes and, and how we're treating things as clinicians and surgeons, what's the future of optic neuritis? Where do you see this going now? There's a lot of exciting things. Over the past couple of years, we now have randomized clinical trial data showing three separate medications are effective for preventing relapses in NMO. In the past, it was just large retrospectives, but now we have randomized clinical trials showing treatments work and can prevent relapses. In the future, we've got a couple of randomized trials looking at MOGAD, so we're going to have randomized data looking at treatments that work, but also what's important is we'll also get some important information on natural history in the placebo group, so that's around the corner. Also what's interesting is the fact that now we do have these biomarkers for MOG and NMO, but a third of optic neuritis is still idiopathic. And that means there's a lot of other antibodies and biomarkers that need to be discovered to kind of differentiate some of these atypical causes of optic neuritis that are still unknown. So there's still a lot to be done in the field. It's exciting to have you you know, share with us a little bit of the perspective on this challenging disease. And we certainly thank you for your time, your wisdom, and, and your expertise for our patients. Fantastic. Thanks, Dr. Chen. Great. Well, thanks so much for having me. You can find all episodes of the Mayo Clinic Ophthalmology Podcast on our website. Thank you for listening, and we definitely look forward to sharing more next week.